does anybody care? This planet's empty, I see no signs of life. Please don't tell me that the human race did not survive. There are no people in the future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Hey everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome. Yes, it is Monday, January 30th, 2023. Here we are back for another Out to Coop Live. And look, I can move around more now. That's right, I finished some of the uh, tech upgrades here in the Raging Chicken studio uh, and part of lots of big stuff happening. So now here I am at a standing desk with our new board. Thanks to all you. Yes, welcome to Raging Chickens Out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, creative and creator and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts right from our own backyards from across the country. You can also join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can also check out our once or twice monthly The Wednesday Show with Cyril Michaleko if we're going to keep on doing that. But we've got some other cool stuff going on, which we're going to talk about in a second. Cyril, of course, is the editor-in-chief of the Bucks County Beacon, and he joins me to drill down in the Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and international politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also help support this show by becoming a patron as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. And if you are listening on the Podbean app, you can become a patron right through the Podbean app, right? You're on the Podbean app, you're listening to our show, there's that little become a patron, support the show button right at the top. I was just looking at that, like uh, looking at the uh, at Podbean today at our hosting site there, and uh, you know, uh, Love the fact that we've got such a great kind of long-term supporting uh, folks that have uh, been with us as kind of patron, as members uh, from Podbean from way back and some folks that are brand new. So thank you. Thank you. You can also help support the show by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for the show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. For more PA Progressive Talk, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you get your streams, you're going to find him. Make sure you also subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Go to the ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast if you've not already. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Yes, make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at The Night Caucus. That's at The Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for all you gamers out there, The Game Inn is a Quakertown-based, black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything from Retro N64s, latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. And kids get discounts when they get A's on the report card. You can't beat it. Check them out on their Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter at, at the Game In. That's with two N's. Check them out. Um, got a question about a game. If you're looking for something hard to get, 
shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. Special shout out goes to Jonathan Mann who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at @songadayman. That's with two N's, at @songadayman on Twitter. Ooh, and we are in the thick of it already, folks. Do not let Paul Martino and his oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Levelfield to launch a truly community-rooted pack to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. That's ragingchicken.levelfield.net. And we've got some great stuff coming up in the coming weeks on Altacoop Live. If you tuned in Friday, you already know. On Monday, February 6th, that is next Monday, I've got Hannah Leffingwell joining us here. Uh, her recent piece in the Chronicle of Higher Education is called The Academic Career is Broken. And we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about the need for fundamental change in higher education and why reform or kind of novel little kind of assessment gimmicks are not going to cut it for the crisis that is deeply embedded in higher ed today. And then on Monday, the 13th of February, that is two weeks from tonight, Alyssa Bowen will be back on the show talking about her recent piece in Truth Out. The right has expanded its dark money strategy for dominating school boards. Yep, perfect timing, right? And we're going to look at the deep pockets behind it all. Well, tonight we're going to take a little bit of a different tact. Uh, we're going to take a kind of close look at um, close look at a couple things, a couple articles um, that are kind of related to some things that are going on here, kind of in Bucks County, but also across the country. Um, but before I get into that, um, I got to let you all know. I mean, you may have seen this already um, if you've been kind of poking around on Twitter at all. Um, you may have noticed that a little announcement came out from, uh, you know. Little announcement came out from the, uh, I'm going to read it exactly here, um, from the Bucks County Beacon. And this is what it says. Big news, Bucks County and PA01, that's our, that's our legislative district, Pennsylvania and beyond. The Bucks County Beacon is launching a podcast, The Signal, with the help of our good friends at RC Press. Yes, that's right. Uh, Cyril and I got done uh, this afternoon. Um, I'm going to be producing the show, helping produce the show. And, um, and, but I'm not going to be the guy in the front, which I'm very, very exciting. I actually love doing the tech stuff kind of behind the scenes and stuff. So hoping to produce that show, teaming up once again to bring you more spaces for progressive independent news, uh, right rooted right here in Bucks County. You know, we keep this going. Um, it's going to end up in some very positive spaces. So I'm very, very psyched to be working closer with Cyril now, um, helping produce that podcast. Again, it's called The Signal. Um, the new episode is going to be out this week. Um, I'm going to kind of knock on wood, and I'm not going to uh, say exactly the day that's going to come out. I'm going to leave that to Cyril, uh, make sure everything is going well. I can say uh, someone who's been working on it through to today, the editing is going great. I'm lo very looking forward for hearing the first episode and what we've got planned for the weeks and months and years ahead. So very cool. So that's the big announcement for this week. Um, that's the... One step forward. Um, and the good thing is, is that uh, 
we got to try out the new board, right? I was a little bit concerned. Uh, you may have heard it a little bit of me on Friday, was trying to get this new system set up. Um, and uh, I tried it out, uh, seemed to work pretty good. Tried to work all the kinks out, seemed to work them all out, and then uh, worked pretty much flawlessly today. Uh, and hopefully that combined with me running, uh, <laughs> hardwiring my computer into kind of at least my uh, the kind of booster router that's here uh, seems to be helping a lot with uh, some of the other tech issues too as well. So we have spent our time well and wisely, hopefully, to ensure that we can take this next leap into uh, progressive media base right here in, in Bucks County. On today's show, like we'll kind of dig into a couple things. Uh, taking a look at a piece that Vice News put out uh, about this absolutely insane uh, neo-Nazi homeschool network uh, based in Ohio. Uh, we're also going to talk about a new piece that just came out in the Chronicle of Higher Education um, about the new school in Florida. Now, you may have been following some of this stuff. You may have seen this in the news. Um, it's made news of late in part because Christopher Rufo, yes, that Christopher Rufo, the uh, anti-DEI, the CRT flame war thrower, um, is, has been appointed to be one of the key new board members as part of the board of trustees of the new College of Florida. And uh, you may recall, you may have heard this before too as well, DeSantis, as well as DeSantis's uh, head of the Department of Education there, has said that this move is a move to make the new school, right? I'm sorry, the new college of Florida, the Hillsdale of the South, right? So there you have that. So why are we spending a little time um, with this tonight? Um, well, in part because, as we were talked a little bit about on Friday, we've seen locally here in our public schools in Bucks County, there's this, been this kind of growing push for uh, getting rid of CR, getting rid of quote unquote CRT, which is really getting rid, rid of DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, right? Designed to make our schools basically welcoming to the broadest kind of segment of our population. Um, so it's been an attempt to get rid of those and uh, basically overwrite them with a, you know, kind of basically, let's call it kind of, if I'm being generous, I'll say it's a soft Christian nationalist curriculum, right? Um, so now we've seen the lawsuits that are happening at Central Bucks. We're seeing the lawsuits that are happening here at the Penridge School District, um, all around questions of speech, all around around the separation of church and state and so on. Well, as we talked about on Friday, the uh, Penridge School District seems to have upped its game and want to up the stakes of these fights by uh, overtly telling everybody that what it is doing is it is going to try to take um, the Hillsdale curriculum, Hillsdale College curriculum, and quote-unquote overlay it with the regular curriculums, particularly in history, right? To fill in the gaps, right? In other words, if you're talking about slavery and how slavery was brutal, well, let's talk about why slavery was good. I, um, if you want to hear about how social movements and the civil rights movement kind of fought against injustice, well, we're going to talk about the good white people, right, of the American history, right, in American history. We want to ensure these values. Now, really, right, why this kind of matters, Hillsdale College, as you know, as kind of we've talked about, is this small little Christian college in Michigan, right? 
but it is the college that has refused any federal fundings so that it can discriminate, right? So that it can not have to kind of accept somebody because they're gay. It can basically refuse any, uh, it can basically decide only a bit white people if it wanted to, right? Whole bunch of other things because it's not taking entering federal funds, right? They also got a ton of private money coming from people um, who have been longtime opponents to public schools and want public funds. Not, you know, they're not, they're, as Rick Smith has always said, right? These kind of charter school people, these privatization people, they're not really interested in privatization. They're fine with the public paying money, right? They're fine with there being quote unquote public schools. That means tax dollars being kind of collected and spent for schools. They're fine with that. What they're not fine with is having, um, you know, laws and regulations and the Constitution applied to those and follow those dollars. They want to be able to take those money, that money from, from the public, and funnel it into private Christian charter schools. Right-wing charter schools are private charter schools, right? This is, and this is not new. This has been going on for a long period of time, right? And yes, it is true that not every charter school is like this and so on. But there is a well-funded, and I'm talking billionaires, right? You're thinking, think Betsy DeVos, right? Billionaires who are funding this move and have been advocating for this. And that's one of the things that Betsy DeVos, why she was chosen to be the person who was the Secretary of Education under Trump, right? Well, Catherine Joyce, uh, she's an investigative reporter for Salon, has uh, put this. I remember looking, uh, reading this back when it first came out, um, but not reading it as probably as closely as I should have at the time, because, you know, it's hard to find materials on, on Hillsdale, um, consistent reporting and talking about the role that Hillsdale College has played and continues to play in distributing these uh, kind of these right-wing curriculums, right, and making them available to kind of more folks. So um, this is the first uh, article in this by Catherine Joyce is called How This Tiny Christian College is Driving the Rights um, Nationwide War Against Public Schools. Um, and I'll tell you, I'm going to reach out to her and see if we can get her on the show too as well, because I think it would be really good um, background for all of us to have as Hillsdale is really seems to be ramping up its uh, agenda. Um, so there's this three-part thing on kind of Hillsdale College, and it's a lot of the stuff you say. I'm not going to go into that too much tonight, other than to say um, it really is good and it's going to set the tone. You're going to be hearing more about those reports and that investigative reports uh, in the kind of the weeks ahead. I think especially when we speak with Alyssa Bowen um, on the 13th of February, um, we'll kind of talk a little about some of those private money, some of this kind of dark money, some of this kind of hidden money, some of the, you know, uh, um, kind of you know, misleading money, if you will, um, that is funneled into all these kind of organizations to accomplish this one goal. So Hillsdale College has basically produced, as we talked about on Friday, has produced a whole kind of basically a prepackaged curriculum set that's going to go out to K through 12 schools that is going out to K through 12 schools. And it's targeting, you know, um, targeting or welcoming partnerships with however, whatever language you want to use uh, with public schools like Penridge um, that um, are willing to push this curriculum in their public schools. They call it the 1776 curriculum. You know, saying that, you know, the great tradition of America began with the Declaration of Independence on 1776, right? It was produced in direct response to the 1619 Project, which basically 
was produced was a, a special project from investigative reporters and historians and, and kind of cultural workers uh, for the New York Times that basically said, hey, well, let's look at so a different foundational date from when we're talking about the history of America. Let's talk from about the first uh, slave ship that landed in this country on the shores of Virginia, right? That's 1619. Now, if you start from 1619 as the kind of building out of kind of the American story, it's a much more complex, more complicated, and more accurate version of what actually happened, right? It's not the kind of disaffected kind of white plantation owners were saying, we all need freedom and we need to be freedom from, from England and therefore we're going to bring freedom to the world. That's the story the 1776 Project wants to tell. So, uh, and that's the one that the Penridge School Board has now trying to overlay in the curriculum, the social studies curriculum in particular, but overlay in the curriculum at um, Penridge, a public school. Not only does this kind of, uh, it seems to me at least, not the lawyer in the room, but uh, seems to me that that is a violation of the separation of church and state. That is bringing religious and explicitly religious um, curriculum into a public school, right? And it's not just that it's religious, but it is a specific brand of kind of Christian nationalist or kind of very right-wing conservative evangelical Christian reading on the world, right? So you can imagine what it might be to what it might be like for somebody to be sitting in that classroom that you know, you can start from, okay, what if you're, if you're kind of, okay, you might be Christian, but you're certainly not that kind of Christian, right? What does that mean for um, how you're going to be kind of engaged there? What if you're Muslim, right? What if you're Hindi? What if you're, what if you're Buddhist, right? And what if you're agnostic or atheist, right? What if you're coming out of this, right? And you're kind of approaching school and you're just thinking that you're there to kind of learn, but really what you're doing is you're kind of as church numbers, the church attendance has gone down, right? They're bringing the church to the schools so that the church can still dominate this, right? So that this kind of particular form of Christianity, this Christian nationalism, can dominate the training of the next generation of American kids. So Hillsdale College. So now we can get a window into this a little bit right now because talking about the national scope of this, and you can certainly bet that this is going to be one of the key battlegrounds that is going to be fought for, fought in the 2024 election, right? It's going to be over these kind of issues. It's going to be the anti-wokeness nonsense. Because look, Republicans has nothing other than that. Nothing other than the culture war. They have nothing for people. They represent a minority of kind of Americans. They've lost a popular election kind of virtually every time they've tried in recent memory, <laughs> Right? The only way that you're able to keep in office and keep control of Congress is basically to, you know, manipulate the elections, suppress the vote, right? Gerrymander, you know what all is. Intimidate people in voting, right? Rig the rules. So, but they're going to push that agenda, right? So in New College in Florida, there's this article in the uh, Chronicle of Higher Education that is quite useful in terms of getting a window into it. I gotta say, I'm happy to see the Chronicle of Higher Education covering this um, with, with, a, with a, a fairly kind of aware eye, a critical eye to what's actually happening. So I'm gonna read you a little bit of this. So this course begins with Christopher Rufo. Now, Christopher Rufo, as you may know, he's a fellow at the Manhattan Institute. This is a kind of right-wing think tank um, that, um, and he was the one who popularized and went viral with 
this kind of anti-critical race theory stuff, saying that is basically making white kids feel bad. You know, he's not the only person that said it, but Christopher Rufo had the money behind him. He had the title of fellow at the Manhattan Institute um, to make these cases. He had platforms through Fox News and right-wing media, um, and he's kind of over about kind of going after any kind of diversity programming whatsoever. So what happened here in Florida, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, has basically said, okay, we're going to start with one of our colleges, right? We already know that he passed this, these, you know, this educational law in, uh, and policy in Florida that basically is banning DEI programs from the public schools. Well, now he's taking, taking a swing at colleges, um, in particular, this new college of Florida. New College of Florida is a fairly small, it's a pretty tiny college, um, and it's got fewer than 700 students, right? So we're not talking about this, uh, this big university, um, but that's, that's exactly the point. It's also known to be a pretty progressive school, right? It has a history, it was founded in 1960, it has kind of an alternative history, it's been, it has a reputation of being this kind of alternative school. And of course, they're going to target that because you want to eradicate right, any kind of foothold you've got in, say, a critical education or alternative education. God forbid, get a progressive education. Right? So here, I'll read you a little bit of this. Right? So when Christopher Rufo, and this, is, um, and this is from Tom Bartlett in the uh, Chronicle of Higher Education published a couple days ago. So when Christopher Rufo gave a lecture at Hillsdale College last year, he emphasized the need to, quote, lay siege to our institutions, unquote, including public universities, which have become, quote, patronage system for systems for left-wing activists, unquote. Upon his recent appointment to New College of Florida's Board of Trustees by the state's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, Rufo promised to show up at, coll- at New College with, quote, a landing party, unquote, a phrase usually re- associated with soldiers storming a beach. The territory Rufo intends to seize is a 110-acre campus located on a lagoon in Sarasota. New College, founded in 1960, has long long had a reputation for doing things differently. The adjective quirky is often employed to describe its vibe. With fewer than 700 students, it's the smallest college in the state's university system. Students receive narrative evaluations rather than grades. Each January, undergraduates undertake an independent study project, which might involve an overseas trip or a stint in a professor's lab. New College pitches itself as a, quote, community of free thinkers, risk takers, and trailblazers, unquote, and ranks high on the list of small, low-cost liberal arts colleges. But the college has struggled to meet its enrollment goals in recent years. What's more, the campus is suffering from a, quote, culture problem, unquote, according to Rufo and has fallen victim to, quote, suffocating left-wing orthodoxy, unquote, that will silence, quote, anyone on the wrong political end of the intersectional hierarchy, unquote. That's what he wrote in a recent article for City Journal, which is published by the Manhattan Institute, where Rufo is a senior fellow. He is committed to redirecting the institution toward, quote, the pursuit of academic brilliance, unquote, a process that will involve, quote, a period of inevitable conflict and controversy. That inevitable period began in earnest on Wednesday when Rufo, dressed in a suit and tie and accompanied by a Manhattan Institute staffer, arrived on campus to conduct two town halls, one with professors and another with students. 
He appeared alongside another newly appointed trustee, Jason Eddie Spear, one of, it, one of the founders of a nearby Christian school, who wrote in a newsletter this week that he hoped to lead the college, quote, out of wokeness. Spear also reported that he had received an email death threat prior to his campus visit, which led to discussion about whether to cancel the town halls. Right? So here we go. A couple things I want to point out, right? So one of the things is that if you notice the language that they're using, right? You want to basically uh, pursuit of academic brilliance, right? You want to make sure that um, that this you're going to solve this culture problem. Right? And the language that the school is often referred to, as it says in this article, is a community of free thinkers, risk takers, and trailblazers. What's interesting about those words, that's, those are the college ones, right? That's its reputation. That's how it's been referred to on its own. It's how people maybe who even attend there would refer to it. Right? But the right wing, in particular, these kind of young, kind of ultra-right um, folks like Rufo, have been cultivating a public presence, talking about themselves, talking about, you know, their extremist ideology, right, in terms of their academic brilliance or the right to be heard or being critical thinking or what logic to rule, right, all this kind of stuff, right? Ben Shapiro, for example, who's long been the kind of voice of kind of like the smart guy, right, you know, got a big write-up in the New York Times and all this stuff, this kind of new breed of philosopher. And ben Shapiro is just a hack, right? He's a hack that knows how to structure lines of discussion to make them sound like the inevitable conclusions, right? It's a way of dressing up logic in the form of his spewingness, right? And he sounds reasonable. He sounds like he's citing sources. He sounds like it's good, but if you scratch the surface at all, you find out that no, this is just kind of citing the same kind of nonsense that we see everywhere or uses another nice little trick of the right, which is to pick out one kind of extreme example and then spread it, right? And basically use that to paint with a very, very broad brush, everyone else that's even close to that ideology, right? They've been doing this for a while now. Tucker Carlson now is the point person in making this case, the anti-wokeness kind of case. And that is Christopher Rufo, and now he's got his landing party at a college that is publicly funded and will carry out a reprogramming of that college in order to serve a Christian nationalist agenda. The difference between Hillsdale College and what we're seeing here in Florida is Florida, in the, the new college of Florida, is a public university. The law that was passed in Florida and then signed into law by Governor DeSantis that banned DEI, right, that banned diversity training that banned discussion, any kind of discussion that would kind of examine race critically, right, in the K through 12 schoolroom is now making sure that it's kind of reaching out to the higher education systems. It's the way it works. You know, I often tell people about this, you know, my, my mom, right, she was a public school teacher. Uh, she taught kindergarten and she taught in the inner city of Utica schools. And Utica is where I grew up. 
right? She taught in, taught in the inner city schools and some of the most poorly funded schools there. And she loved working with the kids, right? Um, my mom's strength as a teacher, and, you know, she would tell you this too as well, is kind of engaging and talking with those kids, right? Creating context where they could um, maybe get some of that kind of collective work that they weren't able to get necessarily at home, in part because their parents maybe were working two, three jobs, right? Maybe because they were um, parents had issues with drugs, right? It's mostly poverty. And to have school be that space, right? And so she would do all this collaborative stuff, these game playing stuff, with her, you know, where the kids would feel good coming to school. And slowly but surely, you had the regimes of standardized testing come in. And slowly but surely, again, these always work like this, right? They don't happen overnight. It's not like a light switch. But slowly but surely, my mom was first encouraged, you know, and then ordered to stop doing so much of that touchy-feely stuff. Stop doing so much of that kind of like, you know, work together stuff, right? And start doing some more of this uh, preparation for the tests. Right, because we want our scores to be good. And then once No Child Left Behind, I'll put it place, that was during the kind of George W. Bush administration. But once that got really started ramping up and it became clear that those standardized tests were not being used as a way to kind of like identify schools that were struggling and make sure those they get the resources and the help to turn them around and kind of make sure those kids have access to stuff. Right? No, instead, those numbers, the scores and the tests were used to discipline and punish. Quote unquote failing schools. If the kids in those classes did not score well on those tests, they didn't get more resources or more help or, you know, trying to figure out kind of how to make this work. No, they got put on probation and were eventually shut down and sold off into the charter network. My mom got to a point where she was spending so much time. This is kindergarten. She was spending so much time in her kindergarten classes training those kids to take standardized tests that she knew that's not what they needed. That she, she left. She retired early. She left what she loved doing because of that movement. Right? The movement for punishment. And if you like, and the reason why, you know, if. Look at the history of that No Child Left Behind stuff. There were, there were kind of quite a few good people on that kind of initial kind of working group during the George W. Bush administration um, who were kind of on board with that. Said, okay, let's look at national standards to make sure that we can find out where the, where the schools are struggling and how do we help them out. You know, let's use this as a way to kind of gather data so that, you know, like good researchers, we can make sure that um, we can take care of the problems based on Real things based on actual knowledge, actually information as opposed to just guessing. But quickly kind of turned in the other direction. And the, the Bush administration, of course, was also linked very closely with the privatization, the charter privatization, the, the Christian privatization um, school networks. There's a reason why Florida, for example, right, um, its education system is in such disarray. 
because it was Governor Jeb Bush, right, and his time there that helped craft that whole idea. And matter of fact, one of Jeb Bush's uh, Secretary of Education was, anybody remember? Well, he was a guy by the name of Frank Brogan, who uh, happened once he got done with Florida, messing up things in Florida, um, was appointed to be the chancellor of the Pennsylvania State System of Higher Education. Right? Matter of fact, the person before, two, the two chancellors before him were also from Florida, with similar kinds of mentalities, particularly Judy Hample. She was, uh, she was like, what, three chancellors ago now, four of them. So this is just kind of one of these moments where you can see Florida has long been at the kind of, you know, the, the, basically the tip of the spear when it comes to these privatization networks. And money has been pumped into Florida to privatize these public schools. The agenda has been to hand it over to for-profit entities. And that has been bolstered by a militant Christian nationalist billionaire class that is, wants to import its quote-unquote soft fascism into schools. So that's what's kind of going on here, right? And Christopher Rufo, because he's the sexy guy on the right, right, he's one that kind of, uh, he's the iconoclast. He's the, you know, the, uh, how do they put it here? He's the free thinker, the risk taker, the trailblazer. Right, blazing that trail right down the road of fascism, certainly, right down the road of Christian nationalism, right? But he's got that kind of renegade attitude about him, right? So Ron DeSantis wants to bring him aboard. So let me read you a little bit more of this. On the agenda, so they had this uh, board meeting last week, and there was these kind of these town halls, and they kind of they went off. They didn't. You know, they didn't turn into, you know, whatever, riots, as some people were suggesting they might. But they happened. But on the agenda was an item called, quote, Role of the Office of Outreach and Inclusion Excellence, unquote, which is what the new college calls its Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Program. Rufo was listed as the trustee making the presentation, and the Manhattan Institute recently proposed legislation that would prevent colleges from hiring DEI officers, right? So you get what's happening here, right? So you've got the Manhattan Institute where Rufo is employed. Rufo is now there, so now they've got their guy there. And they're going to use the new College of Florida as their kind of, you know, their launching pad to carry out this anti-DEI stuff at the statewide level. And they're going to use the new college as its laboratory. Paul says, Delaware has this choice program where students can apply to other public schools in the state, taking money away from home districts. Charters are also included. Absolutely. What's actually happening here in Pennsylvania, right, is, uh, as I was talked about a little bit on Friday, those uh, charter schools get paid first. Right. So students can choose. Right. So they take the money with them. That's the thing. You know, it, get, it sounds like this really liberatory, democratic process where 
hey, look, every student, you know, okay, this is how each student, how much funding each student gets. So they get to take it with them and they take that money and they pay the charter schools first. Now the charter schools are not required to have all the resources that these public schools have to. Like we talked about on Friday too as well, they can pick and choose their students, right? They could decide either they could directly exclude people or they could indirectly discourage people. They're not subjected to the same regulations as the public schools are, even though they're technically public charters, right? This has been, I mean, if you read some of this, I remember reading some of this stuff back in early 2000s, right? When a lot of this privatization stuff was going on. I remember the stuff really ramped up uh, right before the Tea Party stuff, right? There's always, you know, there's always the attempt to attack education from K through 12 and, um, and, and, and higher ed, especially when you have this kind of rising up of these kind of ultra right wing forces. This happened to the Tea Party in 2010, 2000, 2009, 2010, and 2011. That's when we saw these money, this money really flooding into the public schools, right? To charterize everything. We had films that were on kind of like celebrated films, right? But that were being produced by Democrats coming out of this kind of Obama era you know, kind of like, let's measure everything and let's charterize everything and let's privatize everything. Let's reduce all kids in all schools to numbers and shut them down if they're quote unquote failing. I forget the name of that, that one just, uh, it blew my mind. It was such the feel good stuff. And it plays into like the mo like, you know, the kind of that, that stereotypical liberal elite, <laughs> Right. Because it says we're trying to give these kind of like, you know, these poor black kids a shot, right? And all they have to go through a lottery and all this kind of trying to have for a better life. And shouldn't we, everybody have a chance for a better life to get out of those failing schools? And if your kid is like super smart and their school isn't like up to that, shouldn't they have a shot to get out of there and get what they need? Because education should be like the most important thing for everybody. We're going to forget about the people left behind, but just, I just want my kid, just my kid, focus on me, my kid and move on, forget the overall system. So Rufus is coming in to do that, right? Rufus is kind of do this last part of it here. Another person that was brought on uh, to go through a list is one guy, Mark, Mark uh, Boyerline is another DeSantis appointment. who's the author of The Dumbest Generation of The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, two books that portray the millennials as in a less than flattering light. He's a professor of emeritus uh, English in the Emory University and awful, often argues that identity politics has displaced the Western canon to the detriment of education and the nation. Right? You've heard this stuff before. I mean, this is like, this is like classic right-wing conservative like Christian playbook. Boyerline says that Rufo, who previously had no connection to the college or much experience in higher education, was probably chosen, quote, for the energy he brings and his experience with the battles that he has fought, unquote. Deborah Jenks, another trustee appointee, isn't talking about turning the college upside down either. Jenks, a lawyer in West Palm Beach and is a 1980 graduate of New College, remembers her time in undergraduate fondly. 
I think everybody is working together toward a common goal, which for me is keeping the school independent. When somebody asked her about some of Rufo's comments. Well, she declined to comment. After the new state uh, slate of trustees was announced, Manny Diaz Jr., Florida's education commissioner, said it was the administration's hope that New College would become, quote, a classical college more along the lines of a Hillsdale of the South, unquote. That was a reference to the private Christian college in Michigan known for maintaining strong ties to the White House during the Trump administration. If mimicking Hillsdale is the vision, that may be why DeSantis also named Matthew Spaulding, dean of Hillsdale's Graduate School of Government, as a trustee as well. Students are not so happy. Another part, Rufo has been a relentless critic of gender studies programs, including during his Hillsdale speech last year. Amy Reed, director of the New College's gender uh, studies program, is aware of Rufo's stance, though she wasn't familiar with him before he was named as a trustee. I'm not afraid of what they're going to do, she told me. I am steely in my determination to continue fulfilling my responsibilities as an educator. Well, at least she'll try. And finally, Rufo, of course, declined to respond to any of the stuff that came out in the Chronicle. Some of the new college are treating uh, the, the president there. As, uh, they look like the president is probably going to be dismissed. As for cutting programs, Rufo tweeted Thursday afternoon that, quote, DEI departments are political bureaucracies that push a pernicious racial, racialist ideology, unquote, and that, quote, conservatives should make both the moral and economic case for abolishing them. Unquote. He didn't mention new college, but given the board's agenda for its meeting next week, the implication is clear. So we're going to be watching this, just as we're going to be watching Penridge, which we're going to be watching some of these other developments in higher education. The other thing that I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I was, had this moment today when I was thinking a lot about when Sean Kitchen and I were doing our Friday Politics Roundup, when he and I were doing this, and when we were doing a lot of writing at that time, and we were tracking the emerging... Uh, kind of kind of white supremacists and white nationalists organizations in Pennsylvania, right? If you recall, if you looked at any of the archives of Raging Chicken, um, you'll see the kind of reporting that we did uh, when these kind of like neo-Nazi, kind of neo-fascist, alt-right posters started going up on college campuses, um, when there were cross-burnings that were being held by KKK rallies outside of Harrisburg, when there were... Um, the Proud Boys that were kind of emerging both in Philadelphia and in the Allentown area started kind of um, making noise both locally and kind of nationally. Um, and I remember when we were doing some of that work initially, we, we were told a couple things. And I'm sorry if you've heard me say this a thousand times already, but we were told a couple things at the time. And the first thing was, um, don't talk about it. You shouldn't give them a platform. That's what they want. They want attention. By you talking about them, the implication was, we're causing the problem, right? And we got some pretty harsh discipline from some pretty uh, influential people, let's say, in uh, Pennsylvania state politics. But our response was, no. You have to track these people. 
and you have to stop them before it's before they've got a foothold. We weren't tracking them just because there were a few here and there. So, you know, there's always going to be the kind of, you know, folks who are kind of off their racial rocker, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's not like just going out and searching for the kind of, you know, the lone racist that's out there standing on a corner somewhere. No, it's tracking an organizational development. We were looking at stuff early on about people like Mastriano, right? And the folks around Mastriano. We were reporting at the time about these kind of, kind of, you know, these rod of iron kind of right wing kind of extremist ideologues kind of outside of Scranton, right? In, in uh, Northeast Pennsylvania. And the reason why we thought it was important at the time is because we saw them on a certain kind of trajectory and wanted to do what we could to make people aware of them. And at first, right, there were people who read our stuff and they rolled their eyes and like, oh my God, here's the, you know, you know, shouting conspiracy, um, kind of trying to kind of like, you know, get clicks and all this kind of stuff. They don't really, you know, they're just kind of, uh, you know, blowing things up, they're being kind of hyperbolic and all that kind of stuff, right? I can't remember all the words that were used to kind of describe some of the stuff they're doing. But then two years into it, we were no longer the ones, only people who were covering it. Then the Philadelphia Inquirer started picking it up. Then you kind of even Penn Live started picking up some of these discussions. The Post-Gazette reporters started paying attention because some of these kooks started getting elected and some of them started getting power. And after the, after the, the Trump election, when we saw that, oh my God, when everybody was had the big freak out, like, how do we miss this? <laughs> people started paying even more attention to what the people organizing around Trump were saying. And they were saying the stuff that had been cultivated in these networks of extremism. So I was reminded of that today as I came across this article uh, that was published just yesterday in Vice. Okay. Um, written by David Gilbert. And I'm going to read this one or read part of this to you for the same reason that I said why we were covering some of these white nationalists. is because we need to be aware of how organized they are. And I know it is incredibly easy to put that, to have that little switch in our heads that says, yeah, but these are just a, you know, a bunch of fringe stuff. Yeah, but like, I mean, what are they really going to accomplish? Yeah, I know they say that, but you know, whatever, nothing, they're not going to be able to do anything because they're too, whatever, you know how it goes. So um, this piece here, uh, David Gilbert writes uh, for Vice News, inside a U.S. neo-Nazi homeschool network with thousands of members. Now, Ohio copy has, a couple has been unmasked as leaders of the neo-Nazi dissident homeschool telegram channel that distributes lesson plans to 2,400 members. 2,400 members. And why don't we all know this is happening? Well, guess what? If you're listening to this and you think about your friends and your community, we are not on telegram. 
These people are, though. And these people only come to the networks that we're on to troll. They go to Telegram to organize and plan. So I'll read you a little bit of this piece. So earlier this month, while the rest of the country was celebrating the achievements of civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., parents and children in the dissident homeschool network opened a lesson plan and were greeted with the words, as Adolf Hitler wrote, the contents of the MLK lesson plan. Yes, this was the MLK lesson plan that was distributed that day to this homeschool network so these parents who homeschooled their kids could teach their kids this lesson. The contents of the MLK lesson plan would be shocking for almost anyone, but for members of the 2,400-member dissident homeschool telegram channel, this was as regular. This was a regular Monday at school. Quote, it is up to us to ensure our children know him for the deceitful, dishonest, riot-inciting Negro he actually was, unquote, the administrator of the network's Telegram channel wrote, alongside a downloadable lesson plan for elementary children. Quote, he is the face of a movement which ethnically cleansed whites out of urban areas and precipitated the anti-white regime that we are now fighting to free ourselves from, unquote. Since the group began in October 2021, October 2021, it has openly embraced Nazi ideology and promoted white supremacy while proudly discouraging parents from letting their white children play with or have any contact with people of any other race. Admins and members use racist, homophobic, and anti-Semitic slurs without shame and quote Hitler and other Nazi leaders daily in a channel open to the public. Vice News joined the group simply by clicking on a link, though the list of members was not publicly visible. What's even more disturbing, however, is that the couple who run the channel are not only teaching parents how to indoctrinate their children into this fascist ideology, they're also encouraging them to meet up in real life and join even more radical groups, which could further reinforce their beliefs and potentially push them toward violent action. Absolutely. That's the model. Right. This is what we found this now over we over the past decade. Right. This is pretty well documented. Right. Unfortunately, it seems like those like us as a culture, we don't really have this kind of long term memory where we basically build on systems and patterns and kind of try to incorporate that. Say, OK, now we know this. What do we do next? Now we know this. What do we do next? We know this. Right? What do we need to prevent ourselves for? This kind of stuff are things that our mainstream American public is designed to have amnesia about, to forget about, especially if you're white, especially if you're middle class or upper class, especially if you have any privilege in this culture, especially if you're a guy, a white guy, especially. And especially if you're a breed of these kind of right-wing Christian sects. Sects, uh, not sex, just to be clear. <laughs> so now this dissident homeschool network, they found out, was being run. Uh, they called themselves Mr. and Mrs. Saxon. Turns out it's uh, a couple, a married couple by the name of Logan and Katya Lawrence, who live in Upper Sandusky, Ohio. And they have four kids. So, that's where they at. so they, were able to, they go through a little bit about how they were able to figure out who these folks were and so on. 
Uh, Katya Lawrence, who was in her mid-30s, launched the channel in October 2021 because she, quote, was having a rough time finding Nazi-approved school materials for her homeschooled children, unquote, as she told the neo-Nazi podcast Octung Americaner last year. Yes, there is a podcast, a neo-Nazi podcast called that, right? So she was upset that she couldn't find Nazi-approved school materials for her homeschool kids, so she decided, well, I'm going to produce them for myself, and then we are going to share them with other people who are also facing that same deep, troubling problem. When they first reached 100 subscribers, they posted a picture um, that was taken uh, in Nazi Germany of all white boys hiling Hitler, giving the Hitler salute, and say, with the caption, 1,000 subscribers, this is just stellar. Mr. Saxon and I would like to thank you for all following my channel and for engaging with us in the chat group. It fills my heart with joy to know there is such a strong base of homeschoolers and homeschools interested in National Socialist Hail Victory. There you go. Talk a little about their lesson plans. Lawrence uses every lesson plan as an opportunity to push racist, racist ideology. In one math assignment, <laughs> children were asked to interpret crime statistics, the goal of which was to, quote, realize the demographics to be cautious around, unquote. Another lesson called, quote, IQ unit study, unquote, discusses IQ scores. Quote, the blacks, on average, have a much lower IQ than whites, Lawrence wrote. You can see how this works. One parent posting to the group last year thanked the Lawrences for their work and explained why they agreed that public school education was not for them. Quote, this is why I want to make the switch. I don't even want my kids exposed to the gay-loving, anti-family, Jew factory that is public schools. I can't stand it, unquote. Other parents offered their own educational resources, with one member writing, quote, here is an overview of 10 reasons why Hitler was one of the good guys, unquote. It goes on from there. Last thing I have, they, they kind of out this thing, too, as well, which is these are the kind of language. Again, for most people reading stuff online, you don't see these things, right? They, they, these, you know, the, the right-wing extremists, they love their coded language, right? They love kind of being able to make reference. They love their dog whistles. So here's a perfect example of this. So, quote, and this is from uh, Katya Lawrence. Said, there is a huge network of people like us, Katya wrote on the Telegram channel, quote, if you are asking what you can do, get vetted and join a local pool party. I would say that's the best decision Mr. Saxon and I made last year. We joined a pool party and our children now play with other white children where they can speak and play freely, unquote. A, quote, pool party, unquote, is the name for a secretive group, um, a secretive meetup organized by white supremacist group, The Right Stuff, and its political wing, the National Justice Party. Katya Lawrence even goes so far as to share the direct mail email contact at the right stuffs who deals with vetting. While an account named the, quote, National Justice Party, unquote, post updates that include calls for dissident homeschools, members to join its supporters group and updates on its Christmas charity drive. Right, so why am I subjecting all of us to this tonight? Right? It's because... Well, Paul, I agree with you. Paul says uh, those poor kids. I mean, 100%. 100%. 
So what this underscores for me at least, right, and this is kind of why I wanted to spend just a little bit of time tonight um, on this, is that, you know, these right-wing extremists are organizing. And they're organizing in ways that most people don't see, which is why most people get surprised by them. Right? I think the vast majority of people were just completely taken back and stunned when you had these off-the-wall people showing up at school board meetings talking about how teachers are grooming kids, right? I mean, most parents, you, you watch some of the school, you know, uh, the school board meetings, you watch some of the videos of that, you see some of the parents are just like, they're like in shock. They're so taken back by the people saying this stuff. that just like, it's nowhere to compute, right? And you see like this one person come up and say this stuff, right? The one person comes up and you're like, you see the eye rolls, right? People are like, oh, here we go. Here's, we got a nut job here. Okay, okay, nut job, whatever. And then another person comes up. And another person comes up. And as we've documented, right? And then you notice that they're not just coming up and speaking freelance, like as if it's being beamed into their brain. They're coming up with scripts. And they're reading off of them. And you realized that these scripts are connected, right? That these folks met and organized and strategized for coming into the meeting and doing this stuff. And they had been trained how to do it from these national networks, from these regional networks, and yes, these local networks. This year, 2023, odd year election. And in many cases, that means that's when we're having municipal and school board elections. It used to be the case that most people just kind of tuned out in an off year election. Lots of people tuned out unless it was a presidential election, but slowly people start paying a little bit more attention to some of the midterm elections, but off year elections, local stuff. No, this is where the fight is. Like, if you just take that metaphor of, it's not a metaphor, actually. <laughs> but if you take that example of the new college in Florida, of that university with less than 700 students, that, as pointed out in the Chronicle, if you had a, a small college with less than 700 students, appoint a new trustee in normal times, whatever the heck that means, it's not going to, you're lucky it's going to make the college paper, let alone the local paper. But now we're talking about national news, right? These networks are designed. They have a national ideology, Christian nationalist ideology that is supported by a network of think tanks, research institutions funded by billionaires. And they don't just stay at the national level. They don't check out in off-year elections. They don't check out in odd-year elections, in municipal elections, especially now. What they've realized, look, 
We spent 40 years working at the national level with this kind of neoliberal ideology. We've worked 40 plus years to get all of us to start thinking that the market was the only way to understand the world. Everything was cost benefit. Everything was reducible to a ledger. Government bad, market good. That the consumer market, the marketplace, the capitalist marketplace could solve all of our problems if we just consumed more, worked for less, exploited laborers around the globe so we could get our cheap crap. When Ronald Reagan kind of basically said, got us to basically say, government is bad, and then Bill Clinton came around and said the age of big government is over. Bill Clinton was waving the kind of like, hey, us corporate Democrats are joining with the rest of you. <laughs> the rest of the rulers, I get the game. That took 40 years, right, to make to establish at a national-wide level. To so devastate our economy, to overseas everything, having kind of a, a kind of like, an income and wealth inequality like this nation has never seen. And we willingly celebrate people like that freaking Elon Musk. We celebrate the disruptors, which disruptors is just another term for austerity and destruction of labor power. That's it. Innovation means squeezing out more from us so they can take it for us, from us. Right? So once they established that game up there, and then in 2010, ooh, they made that nice little move, right? 2010, they came in when the census was being written, and they had been working on their Red Maps plan for so long, went in state by state by state, took over state legislators, planned to take over state legislators, invested in taking over the state legislators so they can change the way that districts are allocated to give the minority the majority. To make sure in states that we're going to go 55% Democrat, those Democrats are only going to get 40% of the seats because of the way that they drew the lines. Brilliantly, brilliantly enacted and enabled by dumping the red meat onto the most extremist portions of the base, coupled with billionaire libertarian nonsense rewriting the rules at the top to ensure their continued power. So they did it at the state level. So it would reinforce what happened at the federal level. All the time that they're doing that, what are they also doing? They're also kind of getting more judges, more judges, more judges, more Supreme Court judges. Right, and now you're drilling down another level. To push the organizations down so the fight is coming up from below in support of that structure. And do not be fooled. These people are not the majority. The folks that are showing up at the school board meetings without the but they are well organized and they mean to win. 
They are zealots. These folks in Ohio, they're not, that's not the origin of the problem. That's an illustration that we know about, thanks to Vice News. But if you think that is not happening in our communities, right down the street, you're crazy. It is. You know, and this is, you know, it's the playbook, you know, and I, I've mentioned this before and I'll say it again, but you know, this is the reason why in my rhetoric, democracy and advocacy class that I'm teaching this semester, we're reading on tyranny, right? We're reading demagoguery and democracy. Because democracy is what's on the menu. And we're at one of those points where we're having to make a decision. Do we save it? I'm in the camp that says yes. I'm in the camp that says, by the nature of you being a human being, you have a right to self-determination to have direct input into the laws and the rules and the policies that will affect your life. Yes, democracy is always an unfinished product, a project. It's an unfinished project, but that's the horizon that we're going for. Is it an uphill battle? Yes, you have a lot of people that are kind of like, they get tired, especially when they've been devastated. The economy has been devastated. We saw women get their rights kind of stripped away from this past summer. You see all that happening. And sometimes it's easier for some of these folks to turn back down and look downhill and say, hey, it's a lot easier to just go downhill. A lot easier to backslide. But we're pushing on. That's why people are organizing our communities. That's why people are pushing back. That's why this year matters. 2023, there's a tremendous amount at stake, and it's happening directly in our communities. There is no better time to get involved in your communities, to find out who are those people that are working to push back against these right-wing extremist school boards. Who are the people that are running for school boards? How can you support them? Take all that you learned in campaigning in the midterm elections and now bring it to bear in your municipal and school board elections. I'll set it up for that. Anyways, that's what I got for this evening. <laughs> Nothing but some happy notes, right? Um, <coughs> if anybody else got something else they want to throw in, uh, thank you, Nick. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Paul. Everyone else who's tuning in live tonight, I want to remind you, you can help support this excuse, support this show. We can support this channel right now if you're uh, with us live on YouTube. Make sure you like this stream. Make sure you like this one. Make sure you kind of subscribe to the show. You make sure you get a notification every time that you, we go live, even if you're somebody who's not on YouTube all the time. By you kind of hit that subscribe button, by you hitting that like for the show, it helps other people find the show and helps grow the show. That's the whole idea. 
You can also help support this show, like I said, by going to patreon.com slash rcpress. You can go to Patreon for as little as five bucks a month. If you listen to this on Podbean, hit that little kind of patron button right at the top. Hit that little patron button. You can get as little as five bucks a month. Click, become a supporter. Because we're going to have to build our networks, right, in here. For those of you who may turned may not have caught the beginning of the show, is like one of the reasons why I'm really excited about this. This is why uh, you know Cyril and I, Cyril Michaleko, is the editor in chief of the Bucks County Beacon. Why he and I have been working together, and I'm going to um, produce their podcast for him. I'll produce their podcast for him um, to basically to kind of again pool our resources and kind of our expertise and our skills um, in order to kind of expand what we're doing. Right? It's a slow process. But thanks to all of you. Thanks whether if you're listening or you're sharing the show and social media, whether you've become a patron, whether you become a member, whether you're someone who kind of shows up at the shows and is kind of commenting on it, sends me kind of cool stuff during the week, right, of what's happening in your neck of the woods that I might not be aware of. All of us, right, are part of this community. All of us can make this better. But it's going to take all of us. Not everybody's going to be able to do everything, right? That's like the recipe for disaster. But you do what you can. Right? <laughs> Nick says, in other news, go birds. <laughs> yes, okay, I'll mention it. The Eagles won and they're going to the Super Bowl. Are you happy, Nick? <laughs> oh, God, funny, funny. Uh, that's how you know we are in uh, in Pennsylvania. Well, at least we're in one part of Pennsylvania. <laughs> right. Oh, God. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I got to make it somewhat positive. Fair enough, fair enough, Nick, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, so, uh, yes, I was going to bring it to a close tonight. Um, so thank you all for tuning in live. Thank you all for your kind of support. Thank you all for tweeting this out, sharing it to other people, letting, letting them know about the show. I encourage other people to subscribe to the show. If you're listening to this on iTunes, on, say, Google Podcast, on Stitcher, on Spotify, make sure you give us that five-star review. Make sure you leave a review if you can. Let other people know. Again, little things like that make a huge difference because it feeds into their little algorithms and helps other people find the show. Right? Those are the little things that we can do. So still loves the Bills. Me? I'm not a Bills fan. I love – I went to lots of Bills – I went to lots of Bills uh, games – not lots of them, but I went to a few when I was a kid. Seats were cheap. It was always snowing, freezing. We always sat in the nosebleed seats, <laughs> way up in the snow. No, I was a Steelers fan. I hate to say, I still am. You know, still am. I haven't watched a whole, a whole lot of football, football for a long time. But uh, I grew up a Steelers fan. Yep. Um, sorry to break all your hearts. <laughs> I make steamed hams. I don't even know what a steamed ham is. <laughs> You make steamed hams? <laughs> uh, Nick, you're a steamed ham. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, for those of you who are listening to the podcast version of this and not the lives, I'm talking about the comments that are in, uh, uh, oh, it's a Simpson. Show. Oh, gotcha. Wasn't making the connection. Got it. Um, but yeah, so I'm just, uh, this is uh, our live chat and our YouTube, uh, our YouTube channel for those of you who are, uh, Listening to this surely on the podcast. So here we go. Uh, yep. Send me the clip. Send me the clip. There we go. All right, everybody. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. I want to thank you all for your support. Thank you for listening tonight. 
Um, you know, uh, thank you for all that you do, you know, with showing up to support others that are kind of uh, protesting, whether it's kind of knocking on doors, your election campaigns, whether it's organizing your communities around particular issues, uh, whether it's sharing out kind of important content, right? Whether it, you know, every little thing is kind of important. And uh, you got to remember that. You got to remember that it's not about the, uh, you know, who's holier than thou. It's that together we can win, right? Um, we spend as much time being kind of caring towards each other than we are as critical about who's not doing what or who's doing this and who's doing that. And if we uh, kind of really kind of lined up our skis all together, we can really win this thing. So let's do it. All right, this is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. I want to remind you once again, you become a patron of this show by going to patreon.com slash rcpress. You want a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Um, remember, next week we have got Hannah Livingwell here. Yes, she will be here and she will be talking about her piece in the uh, most recent, not most recent, it was like last week or something. Uh, Hannah Leffingwell's uh, piece in the Chronicle of Higher Education called The Academic Career is Broken and the Need for Fundamental Change in Higher Education. We're back here to talk about that and what are some of the possible solutions and why she makes the case that, uh, you know what, this little kind of revision stuff's not going to work anymore. We need a revolution in higher education if we have any hope moving forward. All right, this is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Thank you all for tuning out tonight. Uh, we will certainly see you next week. Oh, and Friday, yep, Amy's back. We're going to be talking culture stuff. We're going to be talking Lord of the Rings. We're going to be talking Game of Thrones. See you then. See ya. I'm flying